Intruder alert, intruder alert. Welcome aboard, Captain. Fighter pilots needed in Sector Wars. Play Astro Blaster. Are you trying to increase the power? Friends, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. I'm your host, Vic Sage, and I cannot believe it, but this marks the 50th episode of the podcast. So, before we begin, let me say I really appreciate everyone sticking with the show, especially when we were forced to jump to a new site and lose a majority of the original episodes. I promise that they are going to be uploaded in the near future. I have not forgotten... As reaching episode 50 is kind of special, I thought we should have an equally special podcast. One that has been requested for a couple of years. And for good reason. Today, we are going to be talking about Starcade, The first and still incredible video arcade game, well, game show, that debuted nearly 38 years ago. This is Starcade, TV's first video arcade game show, starring your favorite video games and some brand new ones being introduced to the public for the first time anywhere. Now, I was lucky enough to catch Starcade when it originally was broadcast on WTBS, the Superstation, one of the only stations that we had besides the three major networks that were being carried by the local cable provider at that time. With basic cable back in 1982, the main choices in television came from the likes of ABC, CBS, and NBC, and in some cases, affiliate stations that provided reruns of classic TV shows such as Bewitched or Mission Impossible, etc. There was PBS, of course, but for my family, that didn't provide what they would consider entertainment. Evening at Pops, in my family's eyes, paled in comparison to what J.R. Ewing of Dallas was getting up to, or who the latest guest might be on Fantasy Island. In fact, I want to say we had at max 15 channels on our basic cable at that time, and the one that we watched the most, at least during the mornings and afternoon, tended to be WTBS. Ted Turner made sure that in the later 70s and early 80s that the Superstation WTBS channel offered a wide selection of syndicated programming like The Munsters to Samford and Son. It was on Channel 2 on Monday, December 27th of 1982 that the first episode of the Starcade TV series aired, and I was on break for the holidays, so I was with my grandparents. I can remember being pretty excited, and so was my grandmother who, I have mentioned before on the show, was bit by the video game bug as much as, if not more, than myself. My grandfather never cared for video games, but I think it would be fair to say that he never outright disliked them, like my father did. At worst, my grandfather looked on them as a waste of time. So it was that I sat in front of their large console television. You know, those TV sets that were so large that it almost rivaled the couch. With a glass of tea in my hand and a bowl of cheese puffs in front of me, the three of us watched what was, in my eyes, the greatest game show ever created. This is Starcade, TV's first video arcade game show. A game show for today. And here's your host, Mark Richards. Hi, and 
Welcome to Starcade. Our two players have been practicing up for today's exciting rounds of competition, and they'll be competing against each other for exciting prizes by playing the newest and most exciting video arcade games in the entire world. Players, are you about ready? Have you warmed up enough? In the beginning, Starcade was aired weekly on Mondays. Although, if memory serves me correctly, it would be aired Monday through Friday in reruns. I did my level best to make sure that I never missed a single episode of the TV series. While it is true that some of the video game magazines I was able to pick up now and again at the local grocery store gave me a glimpse at what new arcade games were being released, they paled to what Starcade could deliver. Every week, I was either seeing games that I was familiar with thanks to games people play, or that fabled showbiz pizza arcade of my youth, or I was being introduced to a game that I had never heard of, and, more often than not, turned out never to be carried at the local arcades. When my father bought us a VCR, I would tape every show I could, and watch it throughout the week. Although, I say this quite often, it makes me wish for a time machine, so that I could go back with a suitcase full of blank tapes and make sure to record every single episode. You see, when I was younger, I was allowed only one VHS tape. Whatever I wanted to record would go on that tape, naturally. That meant I had to constantly record over my favorite TV shows again and again. One of my fondest memories of Starcade now is spending those afternoons watching it with my grandparents. I wish I had a videotape of that as well, just because I would love to share with you all a clip of my grandmother getting worked up watching the show. Lord forgive a contestant that would slip up on one of the trivia questions or the name the game segment. The scathing remarks that could come out of my grandmother's mouth was generally reserved for adults on the show. But if a particular contestant was being rather sarcastic or too full of themselves, they, well, the TV would get a verbal dressing down by my grandmother. Now, Starcade was the brainchild of both James Caruso and Mavis Arthur. Together, this married couple formed the JM Production Company. And thanks to an article on Bleeding Cool, we know that thanks to having worked on a series of videos entitled Little Computers See How They Run for Electronic Data Systems, where they were working with the Commodore VIC-20, Tandy TRS-80, and the Apple II, they kind of saw that technology was jumping ahead in leaps and bounds. In an interview with both Caruso and Arthur by Gavin Sheehan for Bleeding Cool from September 12th of 2017, James said, quote, We were laying on a beach in the Caribbean, having just completed the Little Computer series, and we came up with the idea to do a game show where players would compete against each other on video arcade games. We decided it should be called Starcade. Star for the games that it would feature, and Cade for the arcades where they could be played, and Starcade was born. End quote. This was apparently in 1981. That original concept, or the pilot for the TV series, was filmed at the KRON TV studios in San Francisco during the summer. And while Starcade would feature two contestants, or two teams of contestants, when it aired on WTBS, this first attempt had a staggering 24 contestants separated in groups of eight, and in three individual rows. Each row featured a line of the same eight arcade cabinets. These included Atari's Centipede, Williams Defender, and Namco Ballet Midway's Pac-Man. As I understand it, each player was given a mere 30 seconds on each cabinet to get as many points as they possibly could. When it was all done and the points were added up, the contestant that earned the top scores in each of the groups of eight then went head-to-head -head on Stern's Berserk. 
The winner of that face-off earned themselves an Asteroids Deluxe Arcade cabinet of their very own. Remember what James Caruso said about the star in Starcade referring to the video games in the series. Well, with this pilot, they had another kind of star, because they had none other than Larry Wilcox, from the popular Chips TV series appearing as a celebrity opponent, with the winner of that Asteroids Deluxe cabinet getting to face off against Wilcox on Donkey Kong. Well, in truth, they did have another celebrity on the show. Acting as host was Mike Arusian, the captain of the U.S. national team in 1980 that defeated the Soviets at the Winter Olympics. From an article I found uploaded by Dragon's Lair fans that actually originated in a 1999 issue of Game Room Magazine, it sounds like this pilot episode was a tough one to film, taking over 10 hours just to get the show ready to tape with a crew of 43 people. That article mentions that since Mike wasn't used to being a host for a TV show, he had some issues. And crazily enough, Larry Wilcox's agent was attempting to get him to leave the show. All in all, they managed to get five hours worth of footage. And after half a day's worth of editing, James Caruso and Mavis Arthur had the first Starcade pilot, and it aired on KRON4 in San Francisco, which was an NBC affiliate on the evening of September 13th at 6 p.m. It apparently did quite well, and was even re-aired on other affiliate stations, which was good news for JM Productions, as they had their own money tied up in the venture. Sadly, the series wasn't picked up by anyone. That same article I read states that Caruso and Arthur revamped the idea of the show, stepping away from the large amount of contestants to just two. It was thanks to a meeting with the owned and operated programming executive for NBC, Phil Ross at that time, that a second pilot was put together in 1982, this time with a host that would go on to be quite famous, although for another game show entirely. This is Starcade, a video arcade game show, a game show for today. And here's our host, Alex Trebek. Thank you, Kevin. I will, of course, include a link to that Game Room Magazine article, as well as the Bleeding Cool one for this podcast article on pop culture retrorama, because they have some amazing information on these early attempts at a pilot for Starcade. Even with Alex Trebek as a host, NBC passed on the series after what I've read, thanks to the Golden Age Arcade Historian blog, was six attempts at a show. One of those reasons included this note from the studio, and I quote, who wants to watch kids play games? End quote. Thankfully, Ted Turner felt differently and agreed to pick up 13 shows, as he had managed to get Parker Brothers as a sponsor and felt that Starcade and the game makers were a perfect match, which makes sense. As in 1982, the company was dipping their toes into the home video market with a port of Amadar, Spider-Man, and of course, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. As I understand it, Trebek wasn't interested in continuing as the show's host. Although online, there are conflicting reasons why he wasn't chosen to head the series. But as fate would have it, a friend of his would get the job. That was of course, Mark Richards, who you heard a bit of just a few minutes ago. Richards had a history in game shows, but perhaps not quite what you might imagine. 
He hadn't hosted a TV show, but he had managed to appear on six different game shows by the time that Starcade rolled around. In fact, thanks to Earl Green and his best of the Classic Gaming Expo from 2003 DVD, Mark Richards explained on a Starcade panel that while he had been on Wheel of Fortune, the dating game and others, it was while working as a radio host in San Diego he happened to meet a young woman at a party, and he suggested that maybe with her personality she should try to get on a game show too. They made a deal that if he was able to get her on a show, he would obtain 20% of what she ended up winning. It turns out that she netted $30,000 during her game show appearance. So Richards earned $6,000 for his efforts. He then got the idea of doing seminars of how to get chosen for game shows with the same agreement. You get on a game show and Richards would earn 20%. This ended up attracting the local news as well as Entertainment Tonight and the CBS Evening News which led to an appearance on The Phil Donahue Show, where he ended up hosting a fake game show at the end of the hour, featuring not just Donahue, but two members of the studio audience. James Caruso happened to catch a rerun of this episode in 1982, and called up Richards and pitched him the idea of Starcade. Richards has said that he really didn't care for video games, instead preferring pinball, but Caruso wanted to fly him up to San Francisco anyway so they could have lunch, and they could talk in person. Richards agreed to this, and when returning to the JM Productions office, he watched the pilot with Alex Trebek. While the show itself was being revamped from that particular pilot, Richards agreed to host the series. Using some elements of that pilot with Alex Trebek, JM Productions was having a new set constructed, although one of the biggest hurdles was how to record the games that the contestants were playing without being intrusive, as well as how to capture the score the player had earned at the exact second the timer or their game had ended. As I understand it, they solved this issue of capturing the score by using a Radio Shack TRS-80 personal computer with a camera that was wired up to a timer, as each round of Starcade had a specific amount of playing time for the contestants. When the timer hit zero, the camera snapped the photo and ensured an accurate capture. Now, from what I've read online, it was Nolan Bushnell who was able to talk other game manufacturers, manufacturers into getting behind the notion of supplying games for Starcade for that first pilot in 1981. I assume that the companies continued to see the wisdom of having their products on a weekly game show, as games produced by Data East, Stern, Universal, Atari, Taito, Williams, Bally Midway, Cinematronics and more were featured over the course of the 133 episodes that made up Starcade. Speaking of, on the official Starcade site, where you can watch many of the episodes, they state there were only 123 episodes produced. As always with the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast, I come across conflicting information, even when researching the likes of Starcade. So, 13 episodes were filmed with Mark Richards as host, and thanks to that article from the Golden Age Historian, in the spring of 83, with the series already airing on WTBS, and an additional order of episodes being filmed, JM Productions set up a booth for the National Association of Television Programming Executives Convention in Las Vegas. It was during this event that Mavis and James had a chance to talk with Ted Turner, who expressed interest in seeing if Starcade could be ramped up to a daily show, which, as I mentioned at the beginning the show, I believe that it just stayed as a weekly program until reruns. Although, now and again, I think they aired episodes two to three times a week as a special event. 
There was a problem, though, and that is with the great news that Turner was willing to order 64 more episodes for a second season of Starcade, there would have to be a change of hosts. I've heard that the reasoning for this switch was everything from Ted Turner supposedly not feeling that Richards had chemistry with the contestants, to marketing feeling that if the show was to make a dent in the ratings, it needed a game show host who was recognizable. Whatever the true reason, when Mark Richards called Caruso to ask how things were going, this is how he found out that the series was being picked up with a substantial show order, just not with Richards as host. I think it's fair to say that Mark was extremely diplomatic about it, as he explains himself with this clip from Earl Green's Best of the Classic Gaming Expo from 2003 DVD. I, I swear to God, I never said, how come? What did I do wrong? You know, I didn't ask him that. I just said, okay, uh, thank you, Jim. It's been fun. And that was it. But, and then I watched uh, one episode of Jeff Edwards. <laughs> That was the last time I ever saw Starcade. Uh, I've got all 26 uh, editions of my show sitting in my garage. Never watched them since. I have no interest in the show. I never wanted to do the show in the first place. And it wasn't until about two months ago I bought a computer for the first time and uh, started just out of curiosity. I just typed in Starcade just to see if there was anything on Starcade. And I never realized how what a following the show had. I mean, there's I never really I never saw such a big website for one game show as I had seen for Starcade. I mean, you can type in prices right, you see two or three pages, you know, or any game show. And then I realized, gee, this I was involved in a cult game show. And then I saw a web page, you know, all kinds of uh, what do you call it, uh, links and stuff. What do you call it? links, you know, uh, feedback. Then there's something about which host did you like the best? Did you like Mark Richards? <laughs> and there was really a thing on the, in the internet. And I said, oh, geez, this is awful. I mean, people, Mark Richards, what a nerd. What a dork. Uh, you know, yeah, we like Jeff. I mean, that hurts. <laughs> And I didn't want to read that any further. I mean, there were more. I just read three or four, and I said, that's, that's it. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun uh, hosting Starcade. And that is how Jeff Edwards ended up acting as host for Starcade for the series' remaining two seasons, which totaled 109 or so episodes. Edwards was most certainly a recognizable face on television, although he received his start in radio, being named Personality of the Year by the Los Angeles Times in 1967 for his 9 a.m. till noon radio show on KMPC stepping down in 79 to concentrate more on acting, appearing on such shows as I Dream of Jeannie, Petticoat Junction, Police Woman, and Different Strokes, to name a few. Jeff got his start in game shows with Hollywood's Talking, beginning in 1973, although that show only lasted a couple of months. He jumped to the new Treasure Hunt game show, as well as Jackpot. Jackpot would only make it to 75, but the new Treasure Hunt lasted until 1977. And Edwards did host the Revival series from 1981 until 1982, which brings us to 1983, when he took on the role of host for Starcade. I think it would be truthful to say that the differences between Richards and Edwards as hosts was like night and day. To be fair, Richards was not a professional host, but there was an electricity to Edwards and a big difference between the two was that unlike Mark, Jeff became a fan of video games. 
In fact, I've read online that he heard about Richard's not appearing to enjoy video games and then threw himself into learning what he could about them. And this appreciation of video games is something that Jeff Edwards never ceased to enjoy. He sadly passed away just six years ago in 2014. And I've heard that at the age of 83, he was still playing the likes of, get ready for this, Doom and Quake. Another big difference between how Edwards hosted was after a contestant had picked which game they were going to play in the round, he would give them a little bit of helpful advice. You picked Pro Bowling, why? Well, I thought it would uh, start the game out with a low-scoring game. Uh-huh, and save the high-scoring games till later, huh? Yeah. All right, let me give you a little bit of advice about this, and you might want to listen to uh, Travis. Uh, if you move your joystick left and right, you move your bowler left and right. Move your joystick up and down, you curve the uh, line of the ball, right or left, and watch your speed meter. It's on the far left side of the screen. When it's where you want it, you press bowl, okay? Okay. All right, here we go. You have 50 seconds. Get ready, get set, play. I think why in my household Jeff Edwards was enjoyed so much was because he seemed quite a bit more than just a game show host. He seemed to genuinely care about the contestants and wanted them to succeed. And he was pretty ecstatic when they were able to win an arcade cabinet of their very own. He was friendly and outgoing. I personally feel he really, really helped Starcade to become something special and why it's remembered so fondly today. I suppose I should actually take a moment to talk about how Starcade was played, right? Although, while there happened to be in the first season, two rounds of the Name That Game segment, by the time that Edwards took over, the format of the show was that after the introduction of the players, a video game trivia question would be asked. The first contestant to buzz in had the chance to answer. If they were correct, they were allowed to pick one of the five arcade games to compete on first. If they answered incorrectly, their opponent chose. Once an arcade game was picked, it couldn't be played again. So, as others wiser than myself had pointed out, you could use a game where it was easier to get a higher score for a later round, and you needed to press the advantage of the higher score or try to catch up with your opponent. In the first round, originally you had 40 seconds to attempt to get the most points as possible, but that later became 60 seconds before being changed to 50 seconds. If a contestant managed to lose all of their extra lives while playing, the game automatically ended, and the second contestant would get their shot. The trivia question to determine who would pick the next game was repeated for round two, with originally 40 seconds allotted to get a high score before being raised to 50 seconds. Although, after the second round had been completed and the scores for the players were added up, the one with the highest score would be allowed to play the Name the Game Board, which was four monitors set up in a T-shape that would display a clip of an arcade game. At this point, both Richards and Edwards would ask the player to name the game, giving two titles. And some of them were real doozies, like with 1983's Arabian, with the fake title being The Sheik. Although, sometimes they would offer the real name of an entirely different game, like with Turbo, the other option being Pole Position. When they featured teams, children and their parents, you could see how an adult might not quite know the correct name. Or if it was a lesser known title, like 1982's Blueprint from Bally Midway, a contestant might not recognize it at all. For being able to correctly name three of the four games, the contestant would end up with something like Audio Technica's Mr. Disc Portable Record Player, or White's Metal Detector, a Casio handheld keyboard, or the ColecoVision, etc. With the third round, after answering the trivia question, the two contestants, or child and parent duo if it was a team episode, would pick a third arcade game and have 40 seconds, although originally it was 30, to nab as many points as possible during their gameplay. 
Once all the scores were totaled up after that, the player with the highest score won the game, and was awarded a prize, and allowed to pick from the remaining two arcade titles as part of the bonus round. They would only have 30 seconds on that game they picked to win the grand prize. Whether that be a wacko arcade game of their own or a personal robot, and other amazing prizes like a jukebox, or in some cases even a family vacation. The score they had to best was based on the average scores of 20 other players on the arcade game that was chosen. Also of note, of the five arcade titles for each episode, one of them was chosen to be the mystery game. If a contestant happened to choose it, they were awarded a prize like a set of Parker Brothers home video games. The narrator for Starcade was Kevin McMahon who had a pretty playful banter with Edwards. Kevin would not only introduce what five games were available to play during the episode, but also give a little explanation of the gameplay before the contestants stepped up to play. In addition, he was narrator for the Starcade Hotline, a segment after the commercial break that popped up beginning in the second season of the series. Generally, it gave a behind-the-scenes glimpse at how video games were produced, upcoming or the hottest games in the arcades of the time, and even answering a bit of viewer mail, like in this clip, because people were curious as to which arcade game was Jeff Edwards' favorite. Here's the latest video game news from the Starcade Hotline. A lot of you have written to us wanting to see Jeff play a game, so here he is playing one of his favorites. I hope you can imagine my surprise when one afternoon watching the show, a hotline segment focused on a request from two fans to form an official Starcade fan club. Not only was this request approved, but the location of these two video game fans was in Salem Springs, Arkansas, which is about 30 minutes west of where I've lived my entire life. Speaking of Starcade fans, we have Earl Green with us this week to talk about the dream of being a contestant on the show. We have transport. Friends, I have an incredible confession to make. I, too, was one of those kids who wrote to that address that you see at the end of every episode of Starcade, saying, if you want to be a contestant, write us at this address, or send, what was it, a self-addressed stamped envelope? Does anyone still do that? I don't think they do. Anyway... I wrote to that address. I sent a self-addressed stamped envelope, and it arrived about a month later telling me to, you know, sure, drop on by. You probably meet the qualifications. Just show up at this cattle call in San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco? You see, apparently I was so fixated on the idea of writing to that address that I completely missed all of the sponsorship announcements around it saying that accommodations and clothing were provided by various businesses in San Francisco. I'm really not sure what I was thinking at that tender young age. I mean, was Starcade a traveling road show that scoured the entire country for arcade talent? Well, they should have been, because then they could have found me. So, my folks had to let me down fairly gently, saying, okay, that's really cool. You should save that letter. Uh, spoiler, I have no idea where that letter is. But we're not going to California, so you can be on TV playing video games. So I went back to the living room TV to play video games. And that is the story of the beginning and end of my Starcade contestant career. Which, to be fair, didn't really exist. Now, you might be wondering how contestants were chosen for Starcade. 
As I understand it, from reading those online resources, contestants would be matched up together based on how well they scored on video games. I believe they were allowed to pick one title from a list of 10 games, and then given a week to practice. 10 wannabe contestants would be taped, and from these, only 5 would be picked to appear on the show. Starcade also had a few special episodes where only one game was played. Showcased, you might say. And those were episodes focusing on Dragon's Lair, which I believe I talked about on that episode of the podcast, as well as another Laserdisc title, Cliffhanger, and then Atari's Star Wars. A little last bit of trivia for you listeners involves the theme for Starcade. In that Mark Richards clip you heard near the beginning of the episode, the theme for the series was made up of various arcade game themes and sound effects, like this podcast. I believe it was after the first 13 episodes had been produced that Ed and Joanne Anderson were approached to come up with that memorable Starcade theme. They were credited for their work as Mindseed. That might have had to do with the fact they were working for Data East at the time. And online, it says they were responsible for providing the music and effect sounds for Mousetrap and Venture for Exidy. And now, these messages. For those parents who realize that $600 isn't too much to spend to expand their child's world, Radio Shack has the perfect gift. The TRS-80 computer, the most significant investment a parent can make. Programs for your child's education or your business, finance, and home use. Let your children discover tomorrow's technology today. The TRS-80, the biggest name in little computers. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy company. Hi, I'm Jeff Edwards. You know, there's some brand new words in the English language that people now speak every day. Words like Tron, Xevious, Zaxxon, Maffy. Well, actually, they're not just words. They're some of the marvelous new video games being played by millions of people all over the world. You can see all these games, the new ones, the old ones, and some you've never seen before on Starcade, TV's first video arcade game show. Starcade, Monday at 5.35 on Superstation WTVS. Now, while in the past, thanks to YouTube and the official Starcade channel, there have been more than a few days and nights at the arcade that we have had that legendary video arcade game show on, with no sound perhaps, but it's enjoyable nonetheless. And it's fun to see players our age sitting at the tables by the window and looking up at the flat screen television above Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, watching the show and reminiscing. Speaking of the arcade, here is Gary Burton with a new segment, not about a particular game this time, but how we became friends. Take it away, Gary. Hello everyone, Gary here, the head game tech at Arcadia Retrocade, back again to fill you in on some recent work that's been going on behind the scenes here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, that's normally how things start off for the Tech Talk segment of the show, but not this week. Not only is this the 50th episode of the Diary and Arcade Employee podcast, but it's also about the television show Starcade. I tried thinking of something I could combine together between the arcade repair and the show, but kept falling short. I guess I was thinking about it too hard. Given how this show will be basically about everything arcade-related, yet not about any game in particular, this might be my one chance to go on the record and speak not only about what keeps me coming back to the arcade and my friendship with Vic, but have a vocal transcript that my kids and grandkids can possibly find online decades after I'm 
gone. My first contact with Vic was around 2012. I was working as an over-the-road truck driver and delivering a load of groceries at 2 a.m. for some distribution center in the Northeast. I was searching for something online to pass the time when I came across the retro station WVIC playing tunes from my youth. I sent Vic a message to say I used to be a manager of a local arcade, and our friendship blossomed from there. Eight years later, I still consider him to be one of my best friends, and my kids still call him Uncle Vic. Congratulations, Uncle Vic, for hitting your 50th episode of Diary Podcast. I hope we're both around for many more years to share memories of our youth with those who are willing to listen. For my kids and future generations who may stumble across this podcast while searching about me online, put a pair of quarters on the glass for me and Vic on the next antique arcade game you come across. We'll be waiting anxiously for our turn to play. Thanks for listening. I hope you all have a great week. I know that Shout Factory back in 2017 purchased the rights from both Caruso and Arthur. The plans were to reboot Starcade for a new generation. Nothing has of yet come to fruition with those plans. Although, I have a suggestion. They need to contact Shea Mathis, the owner and manager of the Arcadia Retrocade, and just tape the shows there. Hey, even though my job duties amount to being just a doorman and janitor for the arcade, it doesn't mean I'm not biased. And friends, I think that about wraps up our episode. As always, I want to thank you again for taking the time to listen to the show. I really do appreciate your support and hope that you are all enjoying this second season of the podcast. I know I'm no expert, just a fan of classic arcade and home console games, and I enjoy talking about them. The Diary of an Arcade Employee is currently available on iTunes, and, as I said at the beginning of the show, I am trying to rebuild the podcast library. That was all a result of switching from the Retroa site to the pop culture Retrorama one. You can check out daily posts by visiting www.popcultureretrorama.com. The Diary of an Arcade Employee is available on Google Podcasts as well as Spotify, and it should also be on Stitcher. No matter how you listen to the show, if you have a moment and enjoy the podcast, why not give us a rating and a review to help us find new listeners? You can find out more about the Arcadia Retrocade by visiting Facebook. Or for daily posts, you can check out the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast Facebook page. I share all manner of vintage arcade and home console fun multiple times a day. And just recently, on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Central Time, on the Diary of an Arcade Employee Facebook page, we've been having a watch party, watching all manner of vintage video game programs. We hope you can make it to the next show. I want to thank Earl Green, who is a frequent contributor to the pop culture Retrorama site, as well as being a very good friend to the arcade, having donated most of his collection of home console games, and even more to Arcadia. Earl also happens to head up thelogbook.com, one of the longest-running websites for literally all things pop culture-related. Gary Burton frequently shares photographs from the work he's doing at the arcade, sharing them on the Diary of an Arcade Employee Facebook page. In addition, from time to time, he contributes articles to the pop culture retrorama site. If you have any feedback or comments about the podcast, you can always reach me on Facebook or throw me an email at vicsagepopculture at gmail.com. You also can often find me posting videos of the arcade, before it was temporarily closed due to COVID-19, on my Instagram account, which is simply VicSage underscore. I, of course, want to thank The Retroist. For over a decade, The Retroist provided a spot on the internet where fans of all things retro could visit and enjoy the best retro-related articles and podcasts. I certainly wouldn't have my own site or multiple podcasts without The Retroist's support. In fact... Just a couple days ago, he released a new podcast focusing on the Inhumanoids toy line. So make sure to check it out. Now, have a token on me as you listen to a clip of the subject for next week's show.
This has been a Pop Culture Retrorama podcast. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. The Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast is not affiliated with or authorized by JM Productions, WTBS, Atari, or any of the individuals and businesses that have been mentioned in the show. All music and sound clips from the mentioned video games, TV programs, and ads are the property of the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Audio clips are included for the purpose of review, criticism, and commentary only, and are not intended to infringe. This is Jeff Edwards saying, hope all your troubles get zapped. Bye-bye. End of line.